Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Well, if you thought the whole system was stacked before today, the news out of beautiful Sudbury, Ontario is just going to make you feel great, isn't it? Isn't it just wonderful? Of course, I'm talking about the news that Jerry Lougheed has had the charges against him stayed. I mean, why wouldn't he, right? Heck, Mike Duffy got off. Let's let Jerry Lougheed off without even a trial. (sighs) Mike Duffy had a trial. Both sides made their case. And in the end, the judge sided with Mike Duffy. And his lawyer, Donald Bain, on whether or not his conduct met the standard of criminality. But Jerry Lougheed, in case you forget, is one of three people that, in my view, should have been charged with offering a bribe to a candidate. Something that is against the law in more than one instance in Ontario and across Canada. They offered a bribe to someone to get them to step down from running in a provincial by-election. Now, if you doubt that there was something on offer from Kathleen Wynne and her cronies, then allow me to play you the audio that I played for the very first time. I happened to be sitting in for Lowell Green on January 15th, 2015, when this audio was released. I played it for you then. I will play it for you now. This is the audio from the discussion between Andrew Olivier. He had been the liberal candidate in Sudbury in the uh, June 2014 provincial election. He lost by just a few hundred votes to the NDP. Five, six months in, the NDP candidate says, oh, you know what, this, uh, this whole being a politician thing is not for me. Olivier says, great, I'm going to run. But Kathleen Wynne had other plans. She was recruiting Glenn Tebow from the federal NDP, He was the member of parliament for Sudbury, but a new Democrat. She wanted him to run, not Olivier. So she sent local organizer Jerry Lougheed to go visit Olivier. Now, Olivier records all his conversations on the phone and in person because he's a quadriplegic. He uses this as a way to take notes. What did I talk about with so-and-so? Right. There's the recording. People that have dealt with Olivier for a long time, and that would include Wynne, her deputy chief of staff and campaign director, Pat Sorbera, and Jerry Lougheed all knew that they were being recorded, and yet, unbelievably, they still said what they did. Now, when I play this audio for you, you will sit there and wonder, why on earth, why on earth were, were, were charges stayed? Why is the Crown not following this? Because you will hear a man say, I come on behalf of the Premier. We'd like you to drop out. And if you drop out, we will have a job for you. It is that plain and simple. Roll tape. I come to you on behalf of the Premier and on behalf of, I guess, Thibault, for more indirectly, to ask you if you would consider stepping down, even more than that, Andrew, nominating him. In the course of that deliberation, uh, the Premier wants to talk to you. They would like to present to you options in terms of uh, appointments, jobs, whatever, that you and her and Pat Sabera can talk about. 
Let's play that again. In case it wasn't clear enough, because apparently it's not clear enough for the Crown prosecutors who decided after, what, nine months of investigation? We'll get into the timeline in a minute. After nine months of investigation, after months of getting towards trial, they walk into court today for their court case and say, uh, yeah, Your Honor, uh, we want to stay the charges, which means they don't go away. They can bring them back within the year, but that rarely, rarely, rarely ever happens. Essentially, they dropped the case without explanation. Roll that clip again. I come to you on behalf of the Premier and on behalf of Yassin Thibault, for, more indirectly, to ask you if you would consider stepping down, even more than that, Andrew, nominating him. In the course of that deliberation, uh, the Premier wants to talk to you. They would like to present to you options in terms of uh, appointments, jobs, whatever, that you and her and Pat Sabera can talk about. I come on behalf of the Premier. Drop out. Nominate the other guy. We'll get you a job. So Jerry Lougheed is just a local liberal organizer. He's a bit of a kingmaker in the region. He's someone who the liberals rely on for fundraising, for finding candidates. He's someone who says he speaks on behalf of the premier. And as you'll hear in the next clip, the the premier's deputy chief of staff and, and campaign director, Pat Sorbera, followed up with Olivier. But here we have a guy saying, I come on behalf of the premier. Please drop out. We'll give you a job. That's inducing a politician. That is against the law. But the Crown walked away from it today. Pat Sorbera, as I said, the Premier's Deputy Chief of Staff, did follow up. Let's hear part of her conversation with Andrew Olivier. We don't have to decide overnight, right? There's lots of options that we can sit down and talk about. I mean, I'm gonna, we're all going to be up to very many times. We can sit down and you know, talk that through. And just We should have the broader discussion about what, what is it that you'd be most interested in doing and then decide what, what shape that could take that would fulfill that is what I'm getting at, whether it's a full-time or part-time job at a consent office, whether it is appointments to boards or commissions, whether it is also going on the executive, lots of, but I, I would just, we would just need to better understand, you know, what, what, what is it that uh, you most want to do. Full-time or part-time job, appointment to a board or commission, what is it you want to do? Why wasn't that woman charged? Why wasn't Pat Sorbera on trial? And for that matter, given that she does speak on behalf of the Premier, and she and Jerry Lougheed both said they contacted Olivia on behalf of the Premier, why isn't the Premier facing charges? But instead, in Ontario today, we have an Ontario political police force that dragged its feet, and now we have an Ontario, uh, we have political prosecutors that dropped the case without explaining. There is the possibility that there could be charges coming under the Elections Act. But why wouldn't those charges be added to this instead of staying these charges and then bringing forward Elections Act charges? It makes no sense. As I said, there are people that are very upset that Mike Duffy walked away. But he had a trial. The evidence was heard. A judge rendered their decision. In this case, let me lay out the facts for you. Beginning in late November 2014, the Liberals went to Andrea Olivier to ask him to bow out. On December 15th, 2015, sorry, December 15th, 2014, 
He went public with the allegations that he'd been offered a bribe to drop out. There were calls from the NDP and the Progressive Conservatives to look into this matter given that there was a by-election coming up. The OPP, the same police force whose members actively campaigned to get Kathleen Wynne elected, dragged their feet. They poked around and said, oh, there's nothing to see here, and announced that they weren't pursuing it. They knew that the recordings of these conversations existed, but they did not ask Olivier to turn them over. They did not furnish him with a subpoena to say, provide us with the evidence. They just simply said, well, there's nothing to see here. Move on. January 15th, 2015, so a month later, Olivier, fed up with being called a liar by the premier and others, releases the recordings. The full recordings, excerpts of which I just played, where Pat Sorbera and Jerry Lougheed clearly offer a job or an appointment in return for a political favor, something that is against the law to do to a candidate. The OPP, again, did not act. It took political pressure. Then it took until September 24, 2015, for charges to be laid. Why? Because the Ontario Political Police Force protects Kathleen Wynne and the Liberals. They are an embarrassment to the entire province. They are an embarrassment to law enforcement. I wish I could say differently, but I can't. And the commissioner needs to shake up this department. But now, what is it, seven months? Seven months after the charges were laid without explanation, the Crown essentially drops the case. Welcome to Ontario. Welcome to the corruption capital of the country. To hack with Quebec and their Charbonneau Commission, at least they aired the dirty laundry in public. In this place, we cover it up. We cover up the bribery. We cover up the gas plant scandals. We cover up the email deletions. We cover up, we cover up, we cover up. How many investigations has the OPP had into this government, either the Wynn government or the McGinty government before it? And how many people have been charged? Two people charged with deleting emails. Those will probably be stayed as well. They'll walk away from that. Why? Because they're corrupt. I'm fit to be tied on this today. These people owe the public an explanation. The fact that they wear robes into court and call themselves crown prosecutors does not put them above the public they serve. The same goes for the... Sorry, there are certain words I cannot say on air. This is unacceptable. Unacceptable beyond belief. But I guess it's the new way of doing business in Ontario. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News, News Talk 580 CFRA. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Donald Trump was speaking minutes ago live at a rally in Indiana. 
He is putting on the push. Uh, that's the next big state to vote. I believe it's next week. Um, the the Republicans are most likely headed to a contested convention, which is, you know, as as I keep telling you, this is what we're used to here in Canada. But they're not used to it there. So they'll go to the convention floor. Uh, Trump will have most of the delegates, but not enough to win. They'll vote on the first ballot, and then all these delegates that were committed to a candidate, including those candidates that have dropped out, by the way, after they vote on the first ballot, they're free to go wherever they want, most of them. Some have to wait for the second and so on. So Cruz has been playing this game of trying to get people on side. Today, he did something nobody usually does before they actually get the nomination. He announced his running mate. I have come to the conclusion... That if I am nominated to be President of the United States, that I will run on a ticket with my vice presidential nominee, Carly Fiorina. Not surprised at the pick at all. I actually said that this is what he should do if he got the nomination months ago. But, of course, he didn't have the nomination then. He still doesn't have it now. But... He was appearing with Carly Fiorina. They're going to start campaigning together. And Fiorina, who resonates well with a certain part of the Republican base, is um, out there saying great things about Ted Cruz. Today, I'm very proud and very humbled and honored to announce that I have accepted Senator Ted Cruz's offer to be his vice president for the Republican nomination. Interesting time. Now, meanwhile, big change for Donald Trump. As I've said, he is pivoting. He claimed he wasn't going to be more presidential. He said he was, then he wasn't. Then, you know, I'm not going to change the way I speak. I don't know if you saw his speech today, but a very different Donald Trump because he spoke the entire time from a teleprompter, including long dissertations on foreign policy and the fact that right now, in his view, and I can't disagree with him, American foreign policy is all screwed up. America no longer has a clear understanding of our foreign policy goals. Since the end of the Cold War and the breakup of the Soviet Union, we've lacked a coherent foreign policy. One day we're bombing Libya and getting rid of a dictator to foster democracy for civilians The next day, we're watching the same civilians suffer while that country falls and absolutely falls apart. Lives lost, massive monies lost. The world is a different place. I I can't disagree with him on that. Let's uh, let's skip the next clip that I had set up there, Stephen. Let's go to the critique that is likely aimed at Canada and other NATO allies about friends depending on the United States. This is something that a lot of allies, including a lot of Canadians, will not like to hear, but it is absolutely true. America's allies, especially its military allies, do not look after their budgets, their military spending properly. Our friends are beginning to think they can't depend on us. We've had a president who dislikes our friends and bows to our enemies, something that we've never seen before in the history of our country. He negotiated a disastrous deal with Iran, and then we watched them ignore its terms even before the ink was dry. 
Iran cannot be allowed to have a nuclear weapon, cannot be allowed, remember that, cannot be allowed to have a nuclear weapon. And under a Trump administration, will never, ever be allowed to have that nuclear weapon. All of this without even mentioning the humiliation of the United States with Iran's treatment of our 10 captured sailors. So vividly, I remember that day. Okay, a different clip than I thought it was, but an interesting point from Trump about the whole issue with Iran. One of the things I have to ask is, if he promises to be non-interventionist, how will he stop Iran from having a nuclear weapon? So there is incoherency in his foreign policy as he denounces the incoherency of the others. You can expect that from politicians. But we'll be digging deeper into that over coming days and months. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News on News Talk 580 CFRA. Listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself, Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. In 2013, there were 27.1 million tax returns filed, but would you believe that just 2.1 million of those returns accounted for more than half of all the income tax paid? That was the segment that I played for you last night. The issue of who pays taxes and how do we push back against uh, how do we push back against false narratives, against myths often pushed by so-called progressives? Uh, Stephen Taylor has been involved in politics a long time. He's launched a new uh, venture called News Hub Nation. Uh, joins me now, and uh, Stephen, uh, as someone that's watched the political process over a long period, watch conservatives be in the wilderness, then come into the ascendancy, come into power, and now in the wilderness again. How do you turn around? I, I, I think that video that I did yesterday, one of the most educational things I've done in a long time uh, in media, but there needs to be more of that to push back against false narratives. How do we oh, I, turn the, the, the tide? Well, I agree with you 100%. Uh, we need to... Uh, like through your uh, through the rebel and through uh, you know my venture like uh, New, New Sub Nation, we need to push uh, back with content, uh, with original content that frames the debate and just puts the facts out there. I think when once people are aware of the facts, uh, you know the facts are in our favor. So uh, we rely on the facts, whereas you know the other side relies a lot of, upon emotion. But at the end uh, of the day, facts are the foundation. You know, it's funny. I um, I had on Rick Smith from the Broadband Institute last night to follow. I, I played the the full audio from the video. And if you haven't seen this video on who pays tax and does the rich do the rich pay their fair share, you can find it on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Brian Lilly. You can find it on The Rebel. You can find it on Twitter. Please go watch it and share it because it debunks an awful lot of myths. But I asked Rick Smith about these myths yesterday. And, and I said, well, what about the fact that you know, less than 8% of the population already pays more than 50% of the taxes. He said, Brian, I could give you facts, but, I mean, your audience knows in their gut. He didn't want to refute me with facts. He wanted to rely on feelings. And quite frankly, facts don't care about your feelings. 
<laughs> I've heard. Yes, uh, that that's uh, that's quite right. And look, I think one of the things we we keep falling into a trap as conservatives and people that you know love the free market and believe in the free market, we keep falling into this trap. And the trap is that we respond to the argument uh, within the framing of the left. So. What are we defending? We're, we're, we're defending Canadians who um, make a lot of money to say, like, they pay, pay the, the lion's share of the taxes. Well, um, you know, I'm not I'm not a rich man. You're not. I don't know. I, but I presume you're not a rich man. I, I presume most people uh, out, out there listening just by statistics alone aren't what we would call rich. So it, it's hard for conservatives to you know, defend what is logic when, you know, the, the other side defends it in a, a us versus them mentality, especially when they go to emotion. I think it would serve conservatives well if we actually appeal to people's sense of fairness. And that is in a fair and free market, everyone has the chance uh, to, you know, move up a level or move down a level. That's the, the, the nature of the system, but it's based on our merit. And everyone would agree you know, in their both in their hearts and their minds, that that level of fairness is something that nobody can argue with. Well, you know, as I was explaining last night, if you tax people that have money to the mm-hmm. point where they don't have money, guess what they stop spending money on? You. Yeah, exactly right. They stop spending on you. They stop spending it at your store, at your restaurant. They stop hiring you to fix their plumbing or uh, weed the lawn or you know, be the pool boy, whatever. They stop hiring services that hire small business services that hire thousands and thousands of Canadians. So there is a real reason to be worried about overtaxing the so-called rich. And look, people who have means uh, also have the ability and they've got lots of people uh, working for them to figure out how to minimize uh, the taxes that they do pay. Well, I, I would say and that, and where they shift their money. That too. that would be a very small number in Canada. Uh, oh, absolutely. Because I mean, I was I was pointing out that people that earn over two hundred and fifty thousand in Canada, which is that's one heck of a paycheck. Uh, that that's zero point nine two percent of the income tax filers, but they pay more than twenty percent of the taxes. Yeah, but you it, remember if someone's you, making two sixty, they're not the same as someone making seven million. So they don't have the ability to to hire all those accountants to figure out how not to pay no. tax. They're probably a very successful entrepreneur, contractor, doctor, what have you, working hard to make a living. In fact, most small businesses, uh, I would argue, are looking at revenues around that level, and you know it's a it's a very uh, we, we've seen this debated in the United States, we've seen it debated in Canada, what makes you know a person affluent. And look, if, if you own a small business and your revenues, your revenues are probably at least at that level. So it's, it's difficult for people to put that into the same category of comparison. Mm-hmm. Look, as, as to my earlier point, um, you know, we've seen this with, uh, you know, like in, in France with uh, Gerard Depardieu, for example, leaving uh, the country and taking his lot with him uh, when the taxes get too high. So, look, we all want, uh, you know, the capital to remain in Canada as Canadians. We we want it to, you know, be be in the mix uh, with the rest of us. However, however, we need to create an environment that allows it, uh, you know, the least frictional path to do good in Canada. And that is to keep taxes low, to keep uh, you know, the economy competitive for those who, you know, do have uh, the means to move uh, their money across borders. 
All right. different places. Speaking with Stephen Taylor, he is uh, behind a new venture called News Hub Nation. Uh, check it out, newshubnation.com, if you, uh, if you wish. And we're talking about conservatives pushing back against narratives. Uh, Stephen, the other day, David Suzuki attempted to move the Overton window. And this is uh, the Overton window is a theory I've talked about on radio and TV and elsewhere. It is what's acceptable, what's not. And he started talking about a theory called rewilding that I think we're going to hear an awful lot about. And it's the type of thing that we have to push back against on the conservative side without coming out as sounding like you hate the environment. And rewilding, he's selling it as taking your lawn and turning it into a vegetable garden. Yeah. Who's going to argue with that? If that's what you want to do, have at her. I'm for it. But that's not what rewilding is. Rewilding is turning over half of the country to wilderness, wilderness that we can't actually go into. So that's the type of of, of false narrative that's going to gain a lot of traction, in my view, in the media, and it'll be talked about in in uh, positive terms, but it's the type of thing that over the coming years we'll have to push back against. So it goes back to that using facts, using logic, which doesn't always work as well as emotion. Yeah. And look, we're seeing, you know, on, on the other side of the coin, we're seeing uh, this type of tactic used. I call it sort of a cognitive reframing or cognitive re-anchoring. And where Donald Trump will say something you know, that is like 10 degrees to the right, where really he wants to sort of find the middle ground uh, three degrees uh, more to the right at the end of the conversation. So he'll like, he'll lob something far on the right, like, you know, we'll build a wall 50 feet high, but at the end of the day, they might have stronger border security uh, in the, after the general election debate. So it's sort of this, David Suzuki is, 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 is pitching and moving the Overton window the left by pushing this this radical message on the left so that um you know that nudging that nudging goes two or three degrees uh, to the left and we we have to fight back by pushing it on the right as well oh bringing up the nudging and Cass sunstein next we'll yep, be accused you know of conspiracy <laughs> theories but there, I mean, Cass sunstein former obama czar wrote a whole book on the nudge and how to move people in the direction you want they the progressive side has a whole industry based around this. I wonder if it has anything to do with the deliveryology. Yeah, well, I, I still have to look into that one. It sounded a little goofy when I, when I saw it today. <laughs> Apparently, the uh, the yeah Trudeau cabinet is. Uh... Oh, boy, I don't even know I, I, <laughs> what they're I, up to in Canada. <laughs> I'm more worried about where they want to nudge us, Stephen. Yeah. Where, yeah. Where, where do you see, over the next little while, where do you see the left trying to nudge people? Well, look, I think that the um, the biggest thing we have to uh, look out for in Canada with the, the Trudeau government is, um, you know, back to your concept of, uh, of free markets and, uh, you know, w- what we want to do to, you know, ensure that everyone's got their fair uh, shake here. You know, there's this conversation today with Kelly Leach on recriminalizing marijuana. Well, I don't know if conservatives should be... Um, fighting against something that's sort of inevitable that's going to happen uh, with a majority government in a year or two. What I'm really worried about with that legislation is that instead of, you know, a free market where everyone has a chance to participate in a new sector of the economy, what's going to happen is it's going to be split up between, you know, the top three, you know, what we see in Ontario, who pay to play kind of access. I don't want that to happen federally. And I, I, you know, if you're going to open up a whole new section of the economy, it shouldn't be, you know, two or three or 
five people who have the exclusive license to to have that. So I'm worried about that in the new green, I guess you could say, economy, <laughs> because it's it's happened in the in the old in the in the you know wind uh, wind turbines and and solar economy in Ontario. You see that people who are well connected uh, get the contracts, and it's yeah. just it's a corporatist type of arrangement instead of a free market type of arrangement. And I think that's what people. You know, like apparently millennials are fifty-one percent against capitalism, but I think uh, what we're it, what we're actually against is this is this government collusion with, uh, you know, people who are connected to, I, to run sectors of the economy. I think you're right, and I think there's an opportunity there. Stephen, thanks for the time. Thank you. Stephen Taylor is with NewsHubNation.com. Check it out if uh, it, you know if you're online, you want an alternative view to some of the other sites out there. Absolutely, check it out. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. When we come back, what the heck's going on with Apple? Later, we'll discuss the stupid idea of banning cars from the Byward market. And we'll get Anthony Fury's thoughts on uh, what's happening in Ontario with these charges and more. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News, News Talk 580 CFRA. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. Coming up later in the program, we will discuss the idea proposed by a New Yorker on how to fix the Byward market, which I don't think is broken. So I'll give her a New York salute later on. Uh, we'll also discuss uh, Anthony Fury's latest couple of columns. You you don't want to miss that discussion. Talk with Dave Howard, small business owner. My thoughts also on, uh, it just went out, oh, a restaurant from Alberta deciding it will no longer serve Canadian beer. You, you won't believe this. We'll have some fun with that. The restaurant's name is Earl's. I don't think they're in Ottawa yet, but they're moving this way. We'll get to all that. Uh, earlier today, as I was driving down to join Rob Snow to talk about who pays what in terms of taxes, I got to hear a great interview. John Ehrlichman. BNN anchor, CTV News correspondent on tech about what the heck is going on with Apple. After its financial results were posted yesterday, the company lost about $50 billion on paper from the value of the company. $50 billion gone just like that. Now then you realize, okay, Apple's the most valuable company in the world and it's worth more than a half a trillion dollars, but $50 billion is what a company the size of Netflix is worth on paper. Gone in a few minutes, just like that. What's going on with the most valuable company in the world? John Ehrlichman is back with us from BNN, the Business News Network. Hi, John. Hey, Rob. How you doing? Good. What happened to Apple? I, I feel like I have to say, whoops, when $50 billion goes away. <laughs> just, just gone whoops. just like that. Uh, I don't know. You know, Rob, the thing about markets and stocks is that every time a company has earnings and they have them four times a year, they got to get their paper and get ready to do these conference calls with analysts and uh, give an update on what's going on in the business. So people have to make an assumption of how much stuff Apple sold in a quarter, and then it either meets expectations or it misses. So there's, there's two ways to look at what's going on with Apple. On the one hand, you say, they're big. They're real big. I mean, they sold more than 50 million iPhones around the world in the quarter. They generated more than $50 billion in sales in the quarter. But if you were to look at what happened in the same period last year, the numbers are down, and they're 
down large because Apple's a large company. I mean, in the same period last year, they made around $58 billion. And I think what you've got with Apple is a company that is heavily reliant on its bread-and-butter device, the iPhone. And they've tried to enter. We've talked about this for years. They've tried to get into new stuff, the new, new thing. What's going to replace the iPhone? They've got an Apple Watch. Maybe they've got an Apple car coming. Who knows? Possibly a TV. But for now, yep. this is a company that is dependent on that phone. iPads don't sell as well as they used to. And there's only so many phones you can sell around the world. And everybody's selling phones. That's it, too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and they've always had this battle with uh, they don't want to – mess around too much on price. They know they got a good thing going, so they don't want to lower the price too much. But you might recall when they came out with this more recent phone, the SE, the the idea was they were going to try to grab more market share in Asia because there's lots of competition and phones that are very well priced, and they knew that they had to keep growing. So people say, hey, they don't have to sell more phones than, I don't know, Samsung, but we want to make sure they have good profit they're generating from each of those phones. I think what you've got with this company overall is we're back to that story of what's the next big thing going to be. Hey, they've got 230 plus billion dollars in cash. They could go do whatever they want. They're going to make investors happy in the short term by, you know, giving doing some of the stuff that companies do like, you know, dividends and that kind of stuff. But yeah. I think that a lot of people are also talking about, hmm, could Apple just go out and start buying companies if they can't if they can't hit the mark with some of their new products or, or or new things they're working on maybe they'll just go buy some growth and um a lot of people have been talking about well, that isn't that today. it that, you know this it this for the better part of the last 15 years has been the growth company yeah you know why are you buying apple you're buying it for growth and here for the first time in 13 years it's not growing I think that's true. Um, you know, they, their spin story was that things are going great, but um, you know they're very tied to demand around the world. I think what one of the things that they they do really well they they roll out these phones in new markets the way that you now have these films that are rolled out on the same day in every market around the world like clockwork. It's 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 incredible, but they're so tied to markets like China. Uh, you know, they've grown tremendously there. And they, they generated more than $12 billion in sales from greater China in three months. But in the same period last year, um, it was something like $16 plus billion. So, so you know, if, if, if China's got a cold, uh, you know, that's going to hurt an Apple. And I think that if you look at some of their newer products, like the Apple Watch, like there were some stats this week, I think they sold – Something like it was reported they sold 12 million Apple Watches in the first year. That's more devices sold than the iPhone in its first full year. So that's great. But I go back to this point about how reliant they are on the iPhone when in this last quarter they they still sold more than 50 million iPhones. So uh, it's about two-thirds of their revenue right now. And I think that they're trying to manage – the market's expectations. They're trying to give you a, a heads up. They, they actually kind of did. I mean, Rob, they, they were sort of hinting at this three months ago about what this quarter might look like, and now they've hinted for what the next three months might look like as well. And I think you're, I think you're spot on when you say sort of changing the story from maybe not growing as much, but boy, are they in good shape with all the money they've got that they can do some stuff that might be shareholder-friendly.
All right. Great interview on what's going on with Apple and John Ehrlichman was the voice you heard chatting with Rob Snow earlier today on CFRA. Apple is a fascinating company, and it relates back to what I was discussing with um, Stephen Taylor earlier. Because while now it's a huge behemoth, and they can throw their weight around, they can throw their money around, most valuable company on paper, I'm not quite sure I understand why that is. I think they're overvalued on the stock market, not that I'm playing, not that I own stocks. But Apple was able to start because they operated in an industry that was, for the most part, unregulated. It was a free enterprise system. And that's what we need to start discussing. I'll be going out at the end of next month. About a month from now, I will be, in fact, a month from now, I'll be at the conservative convention in Vancouver. And one politician that I hope is there is Brad Wall, who leads the Saskatchewan party, is the premier there. He keeps talking about free enterprise coalitions. He doesn't talk about capitalism. Capitalism, people reject because of crony capitalism. We need to talk about free enterprise. I'm Brian Lilly, Beyond the News, News Talk 580 CFRA. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Anthony Fury. Fan of 80s music joins me now. Not quite 80s, but I, I'm hoping, Anthony, that uh, playing you in with James is acceptable. I, I actually define the 80s as 1975 to 1995, which was the final <laughs> year, the final year of the last great dance mix CD. That song, What Is Love, Baby Don't Hurt Me. That's the last 80s song ever. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> truly, truly. That, that's what you define it as? I, I, I'm very liberal in my interpretation of '80s because I gotta fit some of the some of the sort of mid Eagles era albums in there and everything. I well, gotta cram it all in. So the '80s went for 20 years. That that song uh, "Laid" by James did come out uh, in 1993, so it fits for you. Uh, Perfect. Listen, I I brought you on to ask you about a couple of your recent columns, and uh, Anthony Fury, of course, columnist for uh, Sun Media Newspaper, so you can read them in the Ottawa Sun on the Toronto Sun website, etc. But I have to ask you, as a former Ottawa Densian, how do you feel about the idea that uh, this New Yorker is uh, is advocating coming to Ottawa and saying you've got to make the uh, byword market just pedestrian, take out all the cars? Well, I mean, those two guys who bicycle in from Fallowfield have to be celebrated somehow. So yeah, by all means, go ahead with it. <laughs> I, I don't like it, it's just. Nuts. It's an apples to oranges thing because New York and Ottawa are two very different cities. You go right down to Times Square. First of all, tons of tourists in there. The regular folks don't go to Times Square. It's just a tourist thing. So they are sleeping three buildings away from Times Square. So they don't need a car. They don't have a car. And for the downtowners, everybody there, even the billionaires, use the subway because it's the most effective way to get around. And they have express train lines in between the other lanes. I mean, I think it's okay for New York to have pedestrian-only areas just because it's, you know, the outer ring is, ring is a car-friendly thing. But the core is not car-friendly, whereas Ottawa is obviously more car-friendly for a number of reasons, for density and so forth. Well, and I'll also point out that uh, it was great city planners that gave us the Spark Street Mall. And uh, there's no cars there. 
How's that working out for you? The less city planners have to say, especially in urban areas, I, I sometimes think the better. Uh, your a couple of your latest columns. I was going to say your latest, but you've you've posted another one since I asked you to come on. Uh, but last night's or this morning's column is it's like the elites are laughing at regular Canadians. That's the headline, and you link together three different stories. Uh, the Ontario taxpayers subsidizing the one point one million dollar purchase of a, a beautiful Porsche. Uh, the um, the deliveryology guru that uh, <laughs> is out there, ad, uh, you know, telling the government how to deliverology, and, and then the the billion dollars going to Bombardier. And by the way, it's a, it's a national unity project, so we're also sending federal money. I think you're right. It's like the people at the top. We can add in uh, Jerry Lawhead's charges being stayed today. Uh, it's like the elites are laughing at Canadian regular Canadians. I mean, the logic of this whole Porsche thing, and then, oh, but they've changed it, Brian, so don't judge it. Now they're only giving rebates for cars that cost up to $150,000, because, of course, that's an average Joe-type vehicle. But the logic of this is nuts. So people can't afford this car. There's no market viability to it. So we can't afford it. Therefore, some rich guy, who's one of the few people who can afford it, has to get $5,500 of our money, of our HST money that we pay at the Timmy's so he can buy it. It is just perverse. I mean, I just feel like they're laughing at us. The um, the issue of Bombardier, uh, I, I can't believe that the Trudeau government is looking at subsidizing Bombardier after just coming back from being in Alberta, where they've, they're they essentially thumbing their nose, giving them the, the New York salute that I'm about to give this uh, urban planner on the idea of a car-free byward market. Um they're giving them the, the New York salute and saying, get lost when it comes to doing anything, even just approving a pipeline for helping out the oil industry. But they're going to give billions of our dollars to Bombardier. It is just wild that a company that has all these greatly educated people and this global reach and so forth, they have to keep going back for more and more money. Uh, there are comparison charts that show that the top employers in Canada have actually, never, like the top 10, have never actually received any corporate handouts. Bombardier is like 27 or something like that. They keep coming back for more. And then, Brian, if you're a mom and pop store around the corner, they're having trouble, they're going under, you go to your MP's office, you say, I'm, I'm having difficulty, can you float me? They will laugh at you. No, and I... yet they will give a billion dollars to Bombardier. Exactly. And then the the final story that you said is uh, uh, for the elites laughing at us. That was the uh, deliveryology guru. I love this. This is a line from Anthony's column. The whole retreat, this is the cabinet retreat where they had um, this guru come in and tell them how to deliver on their promises. Uh, they said, uh, you, you wrote, the whole retreat sounds like Boy Scouts meet te- meets TED Talks, which now that I think yeah, about it, is an apt metaphor for Trudeau's whole public persona. Truly is. Well, you know, it's like it's like those people who in university, I'm speaking to my generation here, they'd only just read that one Naomi Klein book, No Logo, and it's the only book they ever read in their lives, and they've got it on their bookshelf, and they don't shut up about the damn thing, and they're going on about it like they're geniuses. I mean, this deliverology lecture, it's like Matt Foley from Saturday Night Live, that Chris Farley character. You know, they're just going to be standing there, some guy <laughs> saying, like, the best way to maximize your synergy output is to combine the efficiencies of the outlier with the externalities. Let's go, team. And you write the guy a $200 check, he goes and gets his rebate for buying a Porsche in Ontario, and then he drives it all the way down to the Byward Market and, you know, finds out <laughs> he's screwed. He can't even drive his Porsche in the Byward Market because there aren't any cars anymore. I mean, it's, it's just such a scam 
all of it, all of these stories. And it's so offensive to the average person who's just trying to pay the bills, raise the kids, and everywhere you go, there's a new tax and there's a new rule saying you can't, and you try and cut down a tree in your property, and 10 bylaw officers come out like they're Rambo. I mean, it's nuts. <laughs> You've since posted another column since I asked you to come on, and I, I want to get your quick reaction on this. CBC commissioned a poll through Inferonic. So our state broadcaster, or as I'm about to start calling them, the state podcaster, based on some of their actions, they're going into new markets all the time, opening up digital newsrooms. But they had this Enveronics poll, and they just all they wanted to tell was that Muslim Canadians are very proud to be Canadian. Great. Love that idea. But you looked at the poll results as well and came away with something else. Yeah, it's, a, it's an odd poll. It was actually CBC got some sort of maybe exclusive with it. But it was actually more commissioned by these citizen advocacy groups and a couple of Muslim groups, actually, and Muslim scholars and, and thinkers and community leaders played a role in crafting these questions. And it's important that I tell you that when I tee this up. Uh, so they asked 600 Muslims, which is sort of like a sample group of, of the million of them out there, their opinions on various issues, and they found out the lead, the main part of the story is not, oh, they're, they're patriotic Canadians. The main part is that Muslims are actually getting more and more observant, more and more religious, more deeply connected with their religion, and more, you know, I, I would say, I, I don't know if extreme is the right term, but they're certainly not lessening their views. There's more hijab wearing going on than ever before. They're attending mosque more than ever before, and the numbers have doubled. There was 500,000 Muslims in 2001, and now there's a million in 2011. The part that the CBC is making as their headline is just that eight in 10 Muslims say they're, you know, they're very proud to be Canadian and they love Canada, whereas only 75% of non-Muslim Canadians actually say that. It's uh, it's interesting that uh, you point to things like wearing the hijab, the, the chador, or the niqab in public. Yeah, part of the, the reason I think that the media was so out of tune with where the general public was on the niqab debate during the, the election is that you know, at least the press gallery, so many of them live in leafy neighborhoods that celebrate diversity by hiring nannies uh, who are not white. Let me put it that way. But they actually have far less diversity. I live in an area of town where it's very common to see the hijab. It's very common to see the niqab. I, I was at the gym today. I saw two women in Sharia-compliant workout clothes. Uh, so this is... I have the, seen that at the um, at the water park over on, on the east end of the city. I, down, I, I, at, I, at pools in South End, Ottawa, you've been seeing it for years. But this is something that uh, a lot of regular Canadians have to deal with, but the, the media doesn't. This is something that we're seeing in, increasing. And you speak to people like Tarek Fatan, they say, this never happened even when he was growing up. This was a foreign concept uh, that is being imported not only into Canada, but into Muslim Canada. Well, one thing that's very interesting, also the response to this poll, um, when they say they came to Canada, if they, if they weren't born here, if they're immigrants, 5% of Muslim immigrants say that they've weakened their their passion to Islam since they've come here. But 41% of them say that their religiosity has increased once they've come to Canada. So clearly Canada, at least for them, is not having a secularizing force, but for whatever reason is well, making them less moderate. I, I, I can explain that, and I'll have to do it quickly uh, because we're just about out of time. And that I, I use my, my Uncle Tony as an example. Came to Canada, all of a sudden his uh, basement was uh, tartan wallpaper, tartan carpet, and a West Highland Terrier running around named Bonnie. <laughs> uh, you know, Bill Carroll moved to Los Angeles, became Mr., became Captain Canada, he says, while he was down there. 
you you actually externalize your identity much more. And that, that's probably a part of what's happening. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out over the next while. Anthony Fury, you can read him in the Ottawa Sun, the Toronto Sun, and elsewhere. Thanks for the time, my friend. Anytime. Thank you. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments. You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself, Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Is your food organic? Is it biodynamic? Is it locally sourced? Does it conform to the 100-mile diet? These are some of the bud where is it Rainforest Alliance certified? I almost forgot that one. You got to have that for your coffee. It's got to be Rainforest Alliance certified. And fair trade, of course. I mean, that goes without saying. But now there's a new buzz phrase out there. And it is certified humane. And this is big news today because there's a restaurant chain based out of Alberta called Earl's. And they... They have decided that they will only serve certified humane beef because they cannot find enough certified humane beef from their suppliers in Canada. That means that they are going to have all their beef come from Kansas. And we don't have an Earl's in Ottawa. The closest that we've got, it would be, let's see, looking at the the map here, King Street in Toronto. I've actually been to that one. It was next to a hotel I was staying at once. They are big all across Western Canada, and they're down into the United States as well, including Chicago and Denver and so on. They've even got a location up in Yukon. But apparently, Ottawa, meh. We'll go to Toronto. We'll go to Mississauga, London, Burlington, Vaughan. But so far, not Ottawa. Well, they've decided that in the middle of cow country, the mo- I would hazard a guess that the majority of the beef that we have in local stores is Alberta beef. In the middle of cow country, Earl's has decided that they will no longer serve Alberta beef because it is they cannot source enough certified humane beef. Reading from their website, what is certified humane and why does it matter? Animals that are raised on certified humane farms are treated with care, respect, and dignity. These ranches are continually audited to ensure animals are humanely treated and ethically cared for from birth to pasture to pen. Additionally, for Earls, the harvesting facilities, that would mean slaughterhouse, the harvesting facilities have been designed by Dr. Temple Grandin, a world-renowned animal behaviorist, to ensure a calm, low-stress environment. It also results in beef that ultimately tastes better and costs you a heck of a lot more as well. Get ready to pay up here at Earl's, where we bring you imported beef at higher prices. Earl's is going to pay dearly for this in their home market. This is a bizarre decision. Now, 
I've talked to butchers. I've talked to hunters. Yeah, if you have beef that has been treated a certain way before it's killed, it's going to taste better because the meat's more relaxed. But, I mean, the best way to do that is to walk up behind the, the cow in the middle of the field and take it out when it's not looking with a, a, a 308. That's not what they're talking about. Not what they're talking about at all. Have we gotten to the point where we are spending too much time? I, I don't want animals uh, maltreated, but I don't think that they are. For the most part, I don't think they are. But do we want to get to the point where, or have we gotten to the point where we're too worried about how our animals are treated before we eat them? This whole story put me in mind of a hilarious comedy bit by Scottish comedian Danny Boy. I want to play a bit of it for you before we go. I, we, now our meat has to be certified humane. We have to have Rainforest Alliance certified coffee. We have to have organic, biodiverse food. I think it's getting out of hand. I'm proud of the Scottish breakfast, and I'll tell you why. I don't like posh food very much. I was in a nice restaurant here in Montreal the other night. On the menu, I saw the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. Corn-fed, farm-reared breast of chicken. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't care about its childhood. <laughs> I'm going to eat it. I'm not going to interview it. Corn-fed, farm-reared, good at tennis. It's a chicken! Do you think the chicken knows it's corn-fed? Hey, that's my question. Do you think they're there in the barn, the corn-fed is All right, a little bit of Danny Boy. Uh, he, he played Ottawa a little while ago. I'm sure he'll be coming back. Uh, we will come back in moments. We'll get a small business perspective on some of what's happening in the headlines uh, with Dave Howard. That's up next, and later on... I'll take on this woman that says we need to ban cars from the Byward Market. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News, News Talk 580, CFRA. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580, CFRA. Coming up a few minutes from now, we will talk about this proposal that I think is lunacy to ban cars from the Byward Market. It's being called pro-choice. Pro-choice by the woman putting it forward, the urban planner. I'm not sure how saying, sure, as long as you can walk or bike or take public transit into the Byward Market, you've got choice, but just don't drive. How's that a choice? I don't understand it, but then again, I, I don't get big government types. I'm not sure my next guest does either. Dave Howard is a friend of mine. He happens to own several small businesses in the uh, Ottawa area, and I wanted to bring him on for a small business perspective. We've talked before, Dave, and um, I'm guessing that the last few days have been a source of frustration for you because we've got headline after headline showing that the little guy, in terms of business, is um, getting the shaft. You know, first of all, Brian, thanks for having me on. Uh, for sure, you know, um, small business people, you know, we um, um, uh, talk a lot. We, we meet, and a lot of people are in the same boat as I am. You know, I, I just got back from my second job, so to speak, and uh, after working all day. And, you know, listening to these stories of... Um, 
you know, corporate handouts to uh, companies like Bombardier just just infuriate me. Uh, what I want to see is is an absolute uh, uh, no more uh, corporate welfare and you know lower taxes for all uh, uh, businesses. But, but I mean, it's being called a national unity project, Dave. Yeah, so it, it, isn't that worth a, a billion dollars or three? You know, a national uni- unity policy would be, you know, to, to, you know, give business the opportunity to, you know, uh, make enough money that they can employ people, that they could grow and, 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 and be a success. You know, it's just, I, I just find it so frustrating. You know, there's regulation, there's new regulation after new regulation on different things. And it just, it just boggles my mind. And it, it, it's honestly talking to, to, to other people that, are in business. We're, we're all getting fed up that there's just so much of this going on that it's like it's almost like it's not worth it anymore. And you know, seeing money going to these uh, big companies that you know that they're trying to you know save jobs or create jobs here, cre- create jobs there. It, it, it just doesn't work. They need to lower taxes for all you know businesses, and and the winners will win and the losers will lose. Uh, your small businesses, uh, there's uh, one that I believe it's uh, primarily, you, you have some employees outside, but your main office is primarily you and your wife, correct? Correct. Okay, and then you've got another small business, a bunch of guys working together on at, at various hours. How much time do you spend on paperwork, just complying with the rules that are already there? And, and there's right. a reason I'm asking this, because it relates to how how long it would take you to get a, a big chunk of money from the government if you decided that you wanted a government grant? How much time do you spend just trying to comply with the paperwork that already exists? Well, you know, it's horrendous. There's there's different, um, you know, there's, you know, you have uh, 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 corporate deductions. You have, uh, you know, WSIB to fill out your, your, you know, excise taxes, federal excise taxes, city forms to fill out. It's it's just it's unbelievable. It's like, and you have to you have to hire people to do these things, and or you do do them yourselves. And in, in my other business, we have people that we could, we get to do that. But it, it's a it's a huge cost, and they just load more and more stuff onto you, and it's it's just it's getting to the point where it's almost not worth it. The um, the reason that I ask is that it takes a long time to lobby the government for money. It takes Absolutely. a long time to go up to Parliament or to Queen's Park or elsewhere and get these special favors. And I'm guessing that the amount of time you have to spend on paperwork, on being a tax collector for the government. I mean, I, I, I was thinking about this as you were talking about all the, the forms and, and the things you have to collect and the deductions. Some people might have thought you were talking about deductions that you get as a business owner. Oh, well, he gets to you know write off his lunch. No, you're talking about deducting costs and money that you you just have to pass on to the government right oh absolutely uh, it's it's you know different so, layers of yeah, of back in sorry. biblical times the bible's mm-hmm. full of stories about you know people denouncing tax collectors that's what they've turned an army of small businesses in this country into you are tax collectors for the government that's, my that's gst nothing. account has more money in it than my bank account yeah and that's that's exactly what it's turned into you know uh i, I i've said this many times you know uh, uh one of my businesses is a microbrewery and uh it's unbelievable the paperwork that has to be done and people think oh it's you know it's such a cool thing to own a microbrewery but in the end you know we're we're working our butts off 
and you know the 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 fees and the taxes and the payroll deductions and the WSIB the only one who's won so far we have we've all we've done is put money in and the government has taken money out you know so at, at then at the end of the day if we 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 do work hard and we are successful um and then one day maybe down the road I want to sell then the government turns around and you know you made such and such give me half you know so it just doesn't end right from start to finish it, i'm i'm hoping you're going to tell me it's still worth it to own a business rather than than not Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But it's it's because it's, it's the fun of the work, right? It, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't wouldn't want it any other way. It's a lot of hard work, and you know, it is rewarding. But it just could be so much easier if if we just so, had less government. No, let me ask you that, and I want to I want to have a general discussion about free enterprise, which is I think I think what we have to be pushing. And I was st- talking with Stephen Taylor about this about an hour ago, mm-hmm. the the idea of free enterprise over capitalism. You know, changing the language, but. Uh, you mentioned the microbrewery, so I, I, I'm i just going to open this up, say what you can or what you will. But having talked to several people in that line of, of business, the provincial government heralded the, the greatness that is being able to buy a six-pack at the supermarket, just not with your regular groceries, through a separate checkout, in a special section, only at certain stores, blah, blah. It's a hassle for the consumer, but it's also a hassle for you guys. It, it's like a, a mountain of paperwork just to get listed at, at a local Loblaws store or a, a farm boy. Even if the manager wants to order from you, it's a hassle for you and a hassle for them, isn't it? Well, yeah, absolutely it is. And, and you know, what, what it's been allotted, I think it's like something like 80% is the big guys and 20% is craft. Well, there's so many craft companies out there. That you know we're all fighting for that 20%, so it's, it makes it very very difficult. And you know once we have to get it listed with the LCBO, and then we have to go call on the uh, the grocery store itself, and then they have to order it through the LCBO, and then it comes to us. It's just you know at the end of the day, and you're delivering you know uh, two cases of 24, and it's like <laughs> is this really worth it? You know so. All right, so l- let me ask you how that feels compared to hearing that uh, someone that bought a. Uh, Porsche Spider 918, and, and I found out only it was called the 918 because there were only 918 made at a right. price tag of $1.1 million. I don't begrudge the guy for buying the car, but to find out that, yeah, if you just fill out this form and we'll give you five grand back. How'd you feel reading that? It's well, it was, it's basically it's outrageous. It's still outrageous for people to that can qualify for them to buy a car up to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars now. You know, with 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 business comes expenses, and, and I can tell you right now, the expenses that I endure having uh, several rental properties and the microbrewery and whatnot, my hydro bills are through the roof. And you know, that's that my money is being taken out of my pocket so I can fund someone who <laughs> happens to buy it. An electric car that's one hundred and fifty thousand dollars—it just makes no sense. Oh no, no, no. Well, yeah, now one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Before it was, you know, up to well, whatever. But as much as one point one million. Uh, do you do you own a hundred and fifty thousand dollar car, Dave? No, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be nice, wouldn't it? Absolutely. All right. Thanks for the time, Dave. Uh, before I go, though, let me ask you: What do you make of this pushing the idea of free enterprise because there's this new poll out showing 51% i think it was 51% of millennials in the united states reject capitalism i think what they're rejecting 
is this crony capitalism that we've been talking about of subsidies and cross-subsidies and the big guys getting the break. I don't think if they understood what free enterprise was, and I don't think if we had free enterprise, that they would reject that. No, I, you're, you're absolutely right. And what, what happens is, in a lot of cases, uh, uh, the, the, the little guy, the small business owner, gets painted with the same brush as the big guy. Like, we're the evil people, too, because, you know, we, ha- we live in nice houses and we have nice cars. But, you know, at the same time, we, we work very, very hard for what we, what we do. And we employ people. You know, we pay a lot of taxes, not just through personal income tax or our business income tax. But, you know, when you employ people... You know, you're paying source deductions. You're, 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 you know, you're, 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 you're paying everywhere. I mean, it's unbelievable how much tax the the small business person pays, and it seems that we're just being tortured all the time. It's like it's it's never enough, mm-hmm. and I don't know where it's all going to end one day. All right, Dave. Thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Take all care. Right. Dave Howard, small business owner, owner of a microbrewery, a couple of other businesses here in town. Look, this idea of free enterprise versus crony capitalism. I think this is important. You look at what it's frightening to hear that millennials reject this idea of capitalism because then you think, okay, they're going to, you know, embrace Bernie Sanders socialism. That's not a good idea. That's a bad idea. That is the wrong way to go. All right. So what do you do? What's the answer? Free enterprise, free enterprise, getting government out of the way. And this is something that they're already embracing. Why? Because they embrace things like the sharing economy, as it keeps being called. It's a nice socialistic-sounding way of describing what is essentially free enterprise. Uber, Airbnb, all of these things. We're going to explore that over the weeks and months ahead. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. When we come back, give you my thoughts on um, what I think is a ridiculous idea. Then we'll open up the phone lines. Take your calls. You want to email me before then? Beyond the news at CFRA.com. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. It is the perfect time because what better birthday present than a newly pedestrianized Byward Market? A great gift on your 150th birthday. Oh, let's listen to that lady, why don't we? Yeah, baby! Great idea. Have you ever heard of Janet Sadiq Khan before? Had you ever in your life before today heard of Janet Sadiq Khan, but now she's cycling around Ottawa? And I invite your call, Miss Sadiq Khan. Call in 521-TALK, 521-8255. We'll have you on after the top of the hour. If you want to defend what I think is a ridiculous idea, because what this former New York City Department of Transportation commissioner is recommending is that the city of Ottawa, due to the byword market, what we've already done to Spark Street. Let's help kill it. Fantastic idea. I don't know how many of you come down to the byword market because of this job, because of previous jobs. And because I happen to like life, I, I come down here a lot. It is a vibrant, dynamic part of the city. It is a, a part of the city that works. It has cars, it has trucks, it has cyclists, it has pedestrians, and it works. But Miss Sadiq Khan is in town advocating, and I worry that too many of our councillors 
will listen to her instead of common sense, instead of coming down and seeing, does the byword market work? Yeah, it does. Even with cars. Yeah, it works. I think, I think Mayor Watson knows this because I know he's down here a lot. And he seems to have an immunity to crazy ideas of late, which is good. But I, listen to some of the arguments that Ms. Sadiq Khan made on why making an area of the city, like the Byward Market, pedestrian only, getting rid of cars, why it's a good idea. She compares it to her move to turn Times Square, which used to be a shoddy, awful area, especially back in the time of Democrat Mayor David Dinkins, who she worked under. They made it pedestrian only for part of Broadway. Listen to how she describes that area around Times Square changing because of that decision in an interview she did earlier today with Evan Solomon. Well, it really does remind me of Times Square. And when we closed Broadway to motor vehicles and opened that former roadbed to people, people immediately swarmed the streets and they were sitting in beach chairs and they were gazing up at the lights. And it wasn't just tourists. There were tens of thousands of people who live and work within just a few blocks of Times Square, and the plazas were an immediate success, and we found injuries went way down. We saw the number of pedestrians increasing by 37%, and it was a smash hit with New Yorkers. In a poll, 74% of the people that were surveyed agreed that Times Square had improved dramatically, and it was great for business. Um, Retail rents tripled after we made these changes, and new retailers moved into to take advantage of the increase of the pedestrians in Times Square, and it became one of the top 10 retail locations in the world. All righty. That sounds great, doesn't it? Is, is, is Times Square, the old Times Square, comparable in any way to the Byward Market? Is the Byward Market filled with peep shows, body rub parlors, uh, bad pawn shops, little rinky-dink rip-you-off uh Trinket tourist trinket shops? No. So when she says rents tripled, she means those places moved out. Rents tripled in the byword market, what moves out? We're going to lose uh, the furniture store down the street. We're going to lose Saslov's. We're going to lose some restaurants. And what? We will have the high-end type of places that she and her elitist ilk like. Is, is that really the goal here? To me, it's not. The Byward Market right now is a wonderful blend of clothing, furniture stores, uh, restaurants. There are greengrocers and meat shops and butchers. There's a fish shop. You can get all kinds of things here. But if you triple rents, what's going to happen? Most of the small businesses will be shoved out. And it'll be filled with stores most of us cannot afford. Now, she also described how the reason people are driving their cars is they don't have a choice. So we need to give them a choice by taking away their cars. But you would say a proposal that would limit traffic and car traffic in something like the Byward Market or the Lansdowne area. We've got a bunch of areas. You would say those are proposals that Ottawa councillors ought to consider. 
I think so, and you can move fast. We've shown in New York City that you can literally paint the city that you want to see, and it doesn't take millions of dollars, and it doesn't take decades. You can try it out and see if it works. Do it as a pilot. And it's not anti-car to reprogram a street to accommodate everyone who uses it. It's pro-choice. And if people aren't walking or biking or taking transit, that's not a sign that people don't want to do it. It's a sign that they don't have a real choice. They don't have a real choice. That's why they're not taking transit. No, no. As someone who has been a pedestrian, a cyclist, a public transit user, and a, an evil car driver, it depends on what you're doing. It depends on your schedule that day. It depends on how many people are, are you bringing down. Is it easier if you've got six people coming with you to, to take a van than to all get on public transit? Are you going to pay less? Is it going to be more convenient? I'm tired of the elitist planners. One of the reasons that very urban areas work is that they've had less urban planning. Less urban planning, not more. You go to the downtown cores of most North American cities, they were laid out, they were growing, they developed before the age of the master urban planner, before you could get advanced degrees in this. So let's forget what people like uh, Janet Sadiq Khan have to say when it comes to taking cars out of a vibrant part of our city that already works. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. You want to jump in early on the conversation? 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Follow the outrage on Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. Give it to me, I'm worth it. Baby, I'm worth it. Oh, I'm worth it. All right, you ready to give it to me? 521 Talk, 521 8255. Start 580 on Bell Mobility or 1 800 580 2372. Chris writes in about New York and the idea put forward by. Janet Sadiq Khan, and I'll get to her tweets and such in a minute, but he wrote, she spoke about the tens of thousands of local people that came out and partook in Times Square. The city has 5 million people and is 10 times more densely populated than Ottawa. The market doesn't in any way resemble anything in New York. You're right. I just focused on the body rub parlors and the peep shows and everything else that was driven out by rents going up three uh, by uh, three times. That I mean, that's one of her selling points. Rents tripled. We're just speaking with uh, Dave Howard, small business owner. Are you going to be able to afford to run a shop in Ottawa? Are regular people going to be afford, able to afford to go and shop at said shops in Ottawa? It's insane. Absolutely insane. 521 Talk, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. If you have thoughts on this proposal that's being absolutely boosted by some, including, I believe it's Somerset Councillor Catherine McKenney. Is that her word? Yes, Somerset Ward uh, Councillor Catherine McKenney. She's out there tweeting up a storm about the talk being given by J, uh, Janet Sadiq Khan at the uh, Aberdeen Pavilion 
down in Lansdowne. It's being hosted by Ecology Ottawa. It is, I will assure you, a packed house. It's not one of those things where the TV cameras go or the news cameras go and, and there's 12 people and they try and make it look busy. That happens far too often. No, this is an actual big crowd. So I'm guessing this was pushed by the state broadcaster. It was pushed by Ecology Ottawa because I've never heard of this woman before. And she strolls into town and says, start shutting down streets. Don't let cars in. Give people a choice. How does that work? Is that really a choice? Now, speaking of choice, I want to question the choice of the Crown prosecutors that decided to stay charges on Jerry Lougheed. Now, Lougheed was charged in connection with claims that he offered a bribe to Andrew Olivier. Since I played this at the beginning of the show, I want to play it again and remind you of what was said. And you tell me what you think. Does this sound like someone offering a politician a job in exchange for doing something? I come to you on behalf of the Premier and on behalf of Jesse Thibault, for, more indirectly, to ask you if you would consider stepping down, even more than that, Andrew, nominating him. In the course of that deliberation, uh, the Premier wants to talk to you. They would like to present to you options in terms of uh, appointments, jobs, whatever, that you and her and Pat Sabera can talk about. Appointments, jobs, whatever. Sounds like an offer to me. But it took, what, nine months for the police and Crown to decide to investigate and lay charges. Then after seven months, they just effectively dropped the case. Because while they can bring back these charges anytime within the next year, it is very rare that after a stay of proceedings is granted that the Crown ever goes back and says, yeah, those charges that we asked you to forget about, we want to bring them back. It doesn't happen. What did that sound like to you? 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Carrie in Ottawa, you are on Beyond the News. I am livid that they would want to close the Byward market. Well, I've been that, to New York. That's just because you're an evil car driver. I can tell you're on your car phone right now. Bad person. I Bad am. person. I know. I've been to New York City, and it's a zoo. I would not want to turn Ottawa into the zoo. We've got lovely little side vendors. We've got fruits and vegetables, and we can go down and meet for luncheon grab some deli meats in one shop and then two seconds later run across and grab some tomatoes and then go to the bakery and then go to the fish market and get all their weekly groceries all in one foul swoop in about 20 minutes Mm -hmm. while enjoying a little breath of fresh air. They want to take that away and give us Adirondack chairs? Which, which, uh, it's funny, I was thinking about that. I don't know if you realize it, but uh, up uh, up near the, uh, the the National Art Center and the National War Memorial, they have those Adirondack chairs. They've got giant ones sitting there in the summer. I know because I used to stop and and sit on them and and have a breakfast early in the morning when I was filling in for Lowell last summer on my walk in from the bunker. You know, it, look, it's great, but they just took over a big chunk of the sidewalk. They didn't say, okay, you've got to stop driving to be able to use these. Well, no, but they didn't also close the roads and connect them over with cobblestones either. Uh, have you been to, to other cities that have uh, pedestrian-only malls? I, I find that some of them work, some of them don't. But 
what really bothers me is that the byword market already works. It's a pain in the butt at times to bring your car down here. I'll, well, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be frank about that. But it, that's because it's vibrant. Cars are already the last choice. They're not the first choice. No, but if you're handicapped and you have a little difficulty getting around and you can park in a no-parking zone for 10 minutes, 15 minutes to pick up what you need, it certainly makes it a whole lot more agreeable. <laughs> that, I, I, I don't qualify on that front, so I have to fight to find parking. But uh, it, it is still... Very pedestrian-friendly. Most of the time that I'm down here, I'm just walking around. It's very pedestrian-friendly. It's very consumer-friendly. It's very citizen-friendly. I don't know what she's on about. Thanks for the call, Carrie. Thank you. All right, let's go to uh, Raphael calling in about the Byword Market. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. And good evening to you. And, and Brian, are, are, are the rich not citizens? Do they not have rights as well? <laughs> they, Think about all of the condominiums, these these in, in, in incredible investments that have been going in to the area. Shouldn't the rich also have people who can afford to live downtown, who are able to buy a place, have a place where they can come out of their condos and walk to their services and what have you, their specialty shops, Forget all of, like, the vendors who are selling, you know, at barely farm gate prices and what have you. They can afford to buy more. I mean, you know, <laughs> isn't this the way that, that the world Are, are you going? being a little sarcastic here, Raphael? I, I, I'm not willing to admit of that yet. I mean, we're building gated communities. The world is, is basically balkanizing between those who have worked be it hard or smart or by whatever mechanisms that they use to acquire their position. And they've, they've, they've built up something. They have, you know, so eventually we'll, we'll have a feudal system. There will be the inner castle and the outer castle. And, uh, you know, it'll be great for the tourists, of course, because they're staying in hotels. Uh, the, the rent the rents will go up by three times. She says this is if it's a wonderful thing. It's like basically no one from Ottawa will go downtown anymore. That will be the outcome. She and and yeah. I, I will say this. I don't think enough people from Ottawa come down here. I, I think that yeah. there are an awful lot of people who live in this city that never come downtown for whatever reason. They don't like it or they're afraid or they don't know what it's all about. This is a wonderful part of the city, and and I'm all about enjoying the entire city. Uh, Brian, why I have don't nothing we, against the suburbs. I live out in the suburbs. Brian, what, what, you know, if you want to extend what, what, what she is intending and you want to bring the people in, you know, we're, we're struggling with what to do with Breton Flats. Why not set up a, a series of, Parking garages, you pay for your parking, and you get a free shuttle bus down to the market. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Well, you know, I yeah, we might have something better to do with our real estate in downtown Ottawa. Well, we'll find the out about that tomorrow, is, the won't market, we? The market is precious. The idea that you can go down and you can buy things truly out of the farm gate at, at you know, you can't, it's the same deals that you get at Parkdale. Can you imagine that? I mean, this is a unique thing. It's still a small town. What what preserves Ottawa as being a small town are these little islands of 
Yeah, and it's a hassle. You take a card. That's part of the adventure. Everyone knows you're going to get a ticket if you put it in the wrong place and you stay too long, what have you. There are parking garages. Is it sought out? No. It grew like Popsy, and that's part of its charm. And that will also draw people. This this visionary concept of, well, okay, I'm not, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not a I'm not a fan of the visionaries that uh, that want to plan everything out. Thanks for the call, Raphael. You're most welcome, sir. The uh, the experts uh, quite often mess things up, don't they? Now he, he mentioned, uh, rich folks, uh, there is right behind me uh, a condo available for two and a half million. It's a two bedroom if you want to buy it. Two and a half million. You can live right in the middle of the market. There are much cheaper places, obviously, but that's the most expensive one around here right now. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News. This is News Talk five eighty CFRA. You want to join the conversation? Five two one talk. Five two one eight two five five star five eighty on Bell Mobility. Call now. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Get some FaceTime with Brian. Join the resistance at Facebook.com slash 580CFRA. I've always had a love of downtown areas. I don't know why I just have. My whole life growing up, my grandmother used to come over and visit from Scotland. She'd take us on the bus to downtown while my mom was off at work or shopping or what have you. My grand would look after us. And she, you know, she'd spent a good chunk of her life living in downtown Glasgow. Um, that just extended. When I was a teenager, my brother and I used to go record shopping. Do you remember record shopping, walking out with a stack of vinyl under your arms, not just downloading on your phone? It was fun. Took us all day, all afternoon. And then we'd play Desert Island Discs. But um, we would we would go downtown for that. We'd go to downtown Hamilton. We'd go to downtown Toronto. I seek out downtown areas when I am visiting a new city. They're vibrant. They're wonderful. And I think Ottawa's is, it's among the best. It works. The Byward Market is a gem. And I don't think we need to mess it up. But yet, we've got Catherine McKenna. We've got Ottawa Public Health is tweeting about this idea and how great it is to shut down streets to car traffic. When did this become public health's job, damn it? Mind your own business, you bureaucrats. What do you think? 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. We got the environment minister. We got all these ministers out there and counselors, Matthew Fleury, Catherine McKinney. They're all excited that this guru is telling us to shut cars out of streets. How'd that work for Spark Street? Let's kill the Byward Market, too. 521-TALK, 521-8255. Or you want to call in on, on the fact that the Crown wa- essentially walked away from charges against a corrupt, you know, a, a claim of of someone bribing a a political candidate. Maybe that's not bugging anybody today. Dave in Ottawa, you're on Beyond the News. Oh, yeah, it's bugging me. Brian, I got to say, first of all, I don't know why I bother listening to you. <laughs> you you do. It hurts my blood pressure so much. <sighs> My blood fun. pressure can't take it. But listen, yeah, I mean, they didn't walk away from Dean Del Mastro, did they? No, because no, no, he's a progressive no. conservative. 
And this guy here, they've got the goods on him, all, all recorded and set up in a package. What else do they need? Well, I mean, they needed public pressure just to investigate the recordings, Dave. Yeah. They, they knew about the recordings, but they wouldn't uh, tell uh, Andrew Olivier, you've got to hand those over. They didn't give him a subpoena. My understanding is Olivier was willing to hand over. All they had to do was formally ask. They would not do that. Then he released them publicly, and it still took them a while to feel the pressure to do something. This Ontario government is rotten to its core. It's full of nothing but thieves and scoundrels. Mm-hmm. And, and I'd, I'd say that publicly anywhere. They can throw me in jail for that if they want to. Oh, it's true. It, it's absolutely true. Your thoughts on the CBC poll, Dave? Yeah, that's kind of scary because, okay, there's, there's, a, there's a, a, roughly a million Muslims living in Canada. Uh, they did the poll, and they said that 20% were either you know, ambivalent or didn't really take a, a, into the Canadian culture. And some on the very other extreme might, might be downright antagonistic. Now, they said 20%, but let's look what 20% is. That's 200,000 people around here who don't really like what I do very much. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of nervous now. Yeah, I'm going to have to, after reading Anthony, and he sent me the his column on this, and I hadn't read the full poll. I just, I'd seen the, the CBC angle on it earlier in the day, and I said, okay, yeah, whatever. Well, you can um, ask a question and make the answer say whatever you want it to say. That's the problem. But, I, you know, I want to go and read the full poll, the full questions, and the full results, because I, I'm not too sure where it's at. And and if if it's 20% don't like Canadian values, then, yeah, we're, we're going to have problems, aren't we? That's 200,000 people. All right. Anyway, I better go off and eat some Th- humane beef and let somebody else talk. Thanks a lot. All right, let's go to Guy, the Capital Voice. I love the Fury. He's great. You know, he really is. It's why I love bringing him on. But, Brian, I wanted to call about something that you've commented on today, and it's not been widely covered. And I think Dave also pointed it out. I wanted to rant, but I'm going to kind of be calm. But I think tonight we can all realize that a fait accompli, that the judiciary and the OPP do not act on the rule well, of law in Ontario. Uh, because let, let me just pause there, Guy. It, it, was Brian, the crown, it, was you, the, it was the Crown, not the judiciary. It was because the Crown's agent, who's not even a Crown attorney, Denise cr- Bradley in yeah. Sudbury. But as soon as the Crown asks Brian, for a stay, they get it. This cannot stand. If this stands, we live in a banana republic. We know we already live in a social clip- kleptocracy. But basically, if you don't have a judiciary and you don't have a police force that follows the rule of law for those rulers that make the laws, then we are a banana republic. As soon as the Crown, my understanding is as soon as the Crown asks for a stay, they get it. The problem here in in this instance. I had faith in the OPP. I had faith in Dave Truax. Shame on Dave Truax. His name's on all of these files. And this Denise Bradley, if this stands, Brian... We get everything we deserve. I, and anyways, I'd like to debate something else with regards to the byword market. Sure, go ahead. You're all wet on the byword market. The byword market at George Street, if it was closed at time of use restrictions on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night, 
there's some good things going to happen here, Brian, because what's going to happen is you can't limit the people in the condos and the traffic and the trucks that have to deliver stuff to the stores, but you can put time-of-use restrictions on the weekends. And I think that's where this thing could go, and I think a trial is definitely in order. I think you should be much more open-minded, and I really, really, really uh, should think you should rethink it because there's a 400-car parking garage in the middle of the Byward Market. Mm-hmm. So you have to get people to and it, from that. It's closed. You've got a condo there on George Street that you've got to get people in and out of. But you could block George Street, you could block York at certain times, especially in the ask the police on Friday and Saturday nights or when you're doing festivals, especially in 2017. I think it's a great idea. I'm glad everybody's looking at it because we need less cars in that eight block radius and we need more people because when the cars clam it all up, it's just, it's just a mess. You need a shuttle bus service from NRC at 110 Sussex. Matthew's working on it. There's gonna, you're going to be able to park at the NRC, take a shuttle bus into the Byward Market. Oh, it's coming. Not going to happen. Brian? Guy? Anyways, listen, I, I want to close on this for people. Well, you you got to go quick because we're out of time. If people let this stand with this Sudbury trial, this is proof positive that we well, don't... We, we have, self- what faith do we have? So far, Guy, it's only you and Dave calling in. No, Nobody seems bothered by this Sudbury by-election stuff. We'll see. Maybe they'll call in now. Beyond the News, News Talk 580 CFRA. In a world gone mad, there must be resistance. You're listening to Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Some people listen to me talk about experts with such disdain that they just think, well, he must not like educated people. He must not like so-and-so. He must be just have oppositional defiance disorder or something. No, I have a problem with so-called experts on many issues because think of the joys and the wonders that experts have brought us. The progressive experts, and this is what Janet Sadiq Khan is, she's a good progressive expert speaking to Ecology Ottawa tonight. What have they brought us in the past? They brought us the plus 15 movement. That was the idea that we move all the walkways 15 feet above ground. That was an urban planning wonder was adopted by many cities across North America, including my hometown, including Calgary. What does it do? It helps kill pedestrian street traffic. But it was the progressive movement of the day. What else? What? Downtown malls? That was something that was considered big. What'd they do? They killed off downtown neighborhoods. LeBreton Flats and and and. and Basically, raising that, that was a progressive move of the day. And if we want to go further afield from outside of areas of urban design, well, they also gave us thalidomide, eugenics, residential schools. All the best progressive minds of the day thought these were wonders. Wonderful things to do. So there's a reason that I'm against this. Now, Guy raised the idea that on Thursday and Friday nights, you restrict traffic in certain areas. Maybe that's something that could happen, but that's not what she's talking about. She's talking about turning large parts of the Byward Market area into a car-free zone. Why? She hates cars. That's fine. You can hate cars. 
Go live in New York. Go away. I didn't ask you here. I don't want to hear what you had to say. I didn't know you existed until I heard you on my radio station. Just go. George in Arnprior, you're on Beyond the News. Good day. Uh, her name is Khan, right? Sadiq Khan, yes. Yeah, what does Khan mean? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, have you read, read books on hucksters and hol- 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 holsters? Hucksters, holsters? H O A X. Uh, okay. Oh, oh, hoaxers. Yeah, hoaxers okay, and hucksters. Yep. Yeah. Well, if you look look at the pattern there, she comes from a faraway city. Mm-hmm. Going to bring seventh heaven to the byword market by all the great plans, and all the elite believe what she says she's telling them, and then she'll leave <laughs> and it'll all fall apart. You know, she it's the, um, cast, it's the classic plan of being conned. I, I, and I'm betting she was paid ten to twenty thousand dollars or more plus expenses to come to Ottawa. You must have read books on these people. Well, I've read stories about them, not books necessarily, but I've definitely read stories. And you get the general idea. Even today, the the people of the elite are still conable as easy as ever. They're stupid. Oh, absolutely. All right, thanks for the call, George. Bye. No passeran, an Ottawa transplant that lives down in Virginia and listens to the show online, tweets in. Uh, She wants to yuppify the laugh? Grow up, sister. Um, I'm guessing it's been a while since you've been here. The laugh has been a little bit yuppified. It's still the laugh. It's still the same clientele, but it looks a lot nicer than it did years ago. Let's go to Ed in Ottawa. You're on Beyond the News. Yes, good evening, Brian. Uh, how, how are you doing? Oh, perfectly adequate tonight. Yeah, good. Anyways, I'm, talk, I'm talking about the Byward Market. Mm-hmm. Uh, you already mentioned about Spark Street. Uh, actually, I just heard on the uh, radio the other day, they were talking about making traffic go down that street again. I don't know if you heard that report. No, I didn't. Yeah, they mentioned that they're going to be looking into it or something, I heard, which I think, is, because Spark Street is dying. There's nothing going on there, usually. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what is killing Spark Street beyond traffic. It's that the government controls the whole street. And if you try and open up a shop on, on Sparks, uh, you can have public works, most likely public works, but also NCC, walk in one day and say, oh, we're... We're changing the building, and uh, you need to move to another building that we own down the street. Now, you've spent a year or two. You've opened your business. You've gotten everyone used to going to, you know, for example, 150 Spark Street. Well, now all of a sudden you've got three months to move down the street and get your customers used to going there. And and at your expense, are you aware? Yeah, I, th- that I couldn't tell you. But they'll just decide, yeah. oh, we're going to renovate everything, so you have to move. Uh, excuse okay. me, what? I mean, is, the fact is that um, there, there's a, a similar street to Sparks in Calgary that works very well, but the whole street isn't controlled by a government department that has no expertise, zero expertise in, in running uh, stores. But I, my, my view on why not to eliminate cars from the Byward Market area is this area works already. It is a gem among gems. Well, they, they actually tried it on Rideau Street. I remember, and they put the pedestrian uh, mall in. Oh, and, and the bus, and, the uh, bus uh, mall with the the glass over top. Yes, was, yes, it and that, stunk. That, oh, and also the, it just the young, kept in the smell. Yes, and and uh, you had people loitering all the time, and also uh, it the the vendors on on the street, like the the, the store owners, were, were dying for that enclosure to come down. 
they were they were just dying. They were saying we need car traffic back on Rideau Street. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, all that they were doing was letting the buses go on Rideau. I don't know if you were in Ottawa for that. that well, I, I was in as a as a visitor, as a tourist, and yeah. uh, and it didn't work very well. Also, New York, their, their climate is a little like it's it's they have winter, but not like our winter. Uh, that I couldn't tell you. I haven't spent time there in the middle of winter. Thanks for the call, Ed. Thank you. All right, let's go to uh, Michelin in Ottawa. You're on Beyond the News. Hi, Brian. Hello. I'm one of the poorly educated. Good to speak to you again, Michelin. I have a car. Yeah. Oh. I don't believe in so global... You're, so you're evil? I don't believe in global warming. Okay. I see through the media's bias and untruth, and I listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> And I used to listen to Lowell Green. Like, Lowell Green is banging his head on the wall when he used to say in his office. And Trump is saying exactly what Lowell has been crying and you guys and everybody else has been crying about. Anyway. So, but but what do you make of this idea of let's ban cars from a very active part of the city? Do you ever come down here? Brian, I'm a little bit older than yourself, than than you. I was born in... um, um, Oh, my God. I was born in Lower Town, but we moved when I was five years old in Sandy Hill. So I know exactly so when, you, Joe, you when know- Joe Feller and uh, Freeman and everybody else was. Uh, and that guy that just called and said that uh, they, the, pedest- the pedestrian mall, mm-hmm. that, that brought the drugs in. That brought, you know, there was a decline. And, and what the elites and lobbyists from the U.S. are at it again. They're dictating to Ottawa like they helped Trudeau. They're dictating well, to I Ottawa mean, what we should be doing with our Michelin, city. We're, she's not dictating. We're paying her to come. Well, because... <laughs> why are we paying hello? her to come? Hello. So that's why I call myself the poorly educated. And, <laughs> and I'm sure you had a chance today, Brian. I don't want to bore you with, with this. But I hope you had a chance to listen to uh, <laughs> Trump's... Um, foreign policy uh, with regards to Iran, Israel, China, Russia, I like and Ukraine. Like, like uh, most politician speeches, I like some of it. I didn't like other no, parts. No, I but know. He, I know. He, he, he's starting to, to try and well, professionalize his look, you might say. But, but Brian, to me, he's he sort of like, he has a calling, and it's sort of like he wants to bring back the U.S. out uh, from its, how do you say that in English? The U.S. has been brought to their knees with mm-hmm. Obama and Clinton, and, and he wants to bring it back where he can talk with, with other United Nations, but talk truthfully face-to-face, not pretend that you I'm putting a red line and then backing off like you know, Obama did with, uh, with, with Iran. You know and, what and, I and, liked about his speech the best, Michelin? Israel. No, no. no. What, what I liked the best was when he talked about how under Obama, yes, uh, friends are treated worse than enemies. Yes, and I agree because with you. I've been saying that for yes. a long time. Yeah. If Canada had declared that the United States was an evil empire mm-hmm. and we threatened under you know, Stephen Harper had said, Barack Obama is in power. The United States is an evil empire. We will oppose them. We will fight them. We will build bombs. He would have given us Keystone XL, and we wouldn't have had to have done anything. I know. But, but imagine, imagine it wasn't meant to be. Uh, I believe in karma, and it wasn't meant to be. But imagine uh, uh, <laughs> Clint, um, 
uh, Trump with a, with a prime minister, Harper. C'est comme, he's a businessman. You can tell, the media can say whatever they want with regards to Mr. Trump. He's a businessman. He's been in business. He's a, he's a, um, a good business. He's, uh, he did his thing, and, and he's uh, dealt with ambassadors, and he's dealt with uh, worldwide businesses negotiating his businesses mm -hmm. and blah, blah. He knows China. <laughs> When people are, well, the media are saying blah, 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 but to me, I want to give him a chance. I see he, he, he I don't know, but he wants to turn the corner with regards to bringing back military-wise and everything well, else. And, say, and, and fair enough, we'll see if he does it. He's, but, but he's I'm not, on his way. But I'm not afraid of the, when people, the media say, oh, he's scary because of the nuclear uh, uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, they said, I don't believe in that. They, like, they, he, they said the same thing about Reagan. Michelin, we got to leave it there. Thanks for the call. They said the exact same thing about Reagan. Uh, and, and, you know, if Cruz ends up being the nominee, they'll say that about him. It's because they're running for the Republican ticket and the media hates Republicans. The media hates conservatives. But I bet they love Janet Sadiq Khan and the idea of taking cars out of the market. Got a couple of people waiting on the line to talk about the, uh, the whole issue of Sudbury and the allegations of bribery. What happened there? I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments. Some days, the resistance verges on rebellion. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. Winding down to the end of the show. That's good. Between these charges being stayed and um, a so-called expert showing up to, uh, to tell us to take cars off of our streets, I think my blood pressure may need a, a bit of a rest. I don't know about yours. 521-TALK, 521-8255. Probably time for a couple more calls. Let's go to uh, Gloria waiting to talk about the Byward Market. Yes, I'd like to talk about the Byward Market, and I'd also like to just put uh, comment briefly about this uh, uh, thing, the bribery scandal that's going on in Sudbury. Yeah, okay. I'll start, okay, I'll start with that. To me, they have all the evidence that they need for a guilty verdict. They've got Jerry Lougheed recorded on tape offering Olivier a, a bribe to, uh, of another job if he'll step aside for the Liberals' preferred candidate. And, and, and he has said, Wynn didn't say this, it's... Um, it's uh, uh, a, a law he had said that Wynn would like to talk to him. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the thing is this. Well, is and, and then the deputy uh, uh, chief of staff for the premier mm -hmm. called up to say, hey, we'd like to talk to you about a job to a, a, a you know, full-time job, part-time job appointment to a border agency. Well, there you go. And, and she, uh, and I'm sure this had to have have wins approvals all all over it. Mm -hmm. To me, this is open in your face political corruption, and this is condoned and ignored by the people we trust to uphold our laws. This, I mean, it's it's uh, really incredible that this is happening. That, uh. that uh, that the laws are the laws are being ignored, and the so is the evidence. Unfortunately, more people interested in cars in the Byward market than about this. Uh, but that's been the case for uh, for a long time now. I could get callers on on lots of things, but not not this. So yeah. And anyway, your know, thoughts on the Byward market, Gloria? Yes. 
I'll just very quickly say by making the byward market um, uh, banning cars, it is it will be just another business killing, job killing decision that the government seems uh, to be famous for, and they've got no better example than Spark Street, the disaster of it, which is vacant from one end of uh, an end of the street to the other, and 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 every shop is vacant. I mean, if they want to ban cars, the whole down in the downtown area. The whole thing will become a ghost town. Uh, so far, um, there's some councillors that are on board. Uh, Mayor Watson, not one of them. Mm. I say that we keep up gentle but polite pressure on them. Thanks for the call, Gloria. Thank you. Good night. All right, let's go to Albert, calling all the way from Thunder Bay, Albert. Well, how are you doing? Uh, well, I'm well. This uh, Sudbury thing has uh, really raised my blood pressure also. Um, is there? I, I'm not going to reiterate all the shenanigans of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there in? It, can something be organized like a petition, or uh, or is are there email addresses at the OPP that we can flood with emails? Or I mean, the OPP it's beyond them now. This went to the Crown. And the, the Crown prosecutors decided that they would take a pass. They decided not to proceed, which I don't understand at all. What kind of recourse uh, do we as the people have? That is some, that, that's something I'd like to look into tomorrow. I wasn't able to find that out today. Um, I will, you know, I, I'm going to stay on this. I've been on this since well, yeah, uh, it's, it's, December of 2014. Yeah, and right. uh, and and I played the the audio. I was the first one on this radio station to play the audio and say, "This is a story. This I is a problem." It. Yes. <laughs> so you know, we we've got to we got to shake off our complacency, Albert. And and you know, Guy earlier was right. We can't let this stand. But I don't. I, quite often, when people say I'm angry, I've got an outlet for your anger. Here's a petition, or here's who to call, or here's who to email. I don't know on this one because they're all bureaucrats that we don't elect. And the government in charge is the one that would be facing charges if we were to petition them. The government should be facing charges well, if I, we I, elected. I, I think that Kathleen Wynne should have been charged alongside Jerry Lougheed and Pat Sorbera. And the exactly. fact that she wasn't speaks to uh, the political nature of the OPP, in my view. This is a police organization whose members helped get Kathleen Wynne elected and right. then looked the other way when two of her representatives went to uh, a candidate and said, we speak on her behalf. Please do this for the premier and she will reward you. Right. All right. Thanks for the call, Albert. Beautiful. Okay. All right. That wraps the show for tonight. Thanks for listening in. Remember, if you if you miss something or you want to share this, you like what you hear, even if you don't. Even if you don't actually miss the show, maybe you just want to let other people know about it. You can find the show later tonight. I'll be posting the podcast. You can share it. You can find it on my Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash Brian Lilly. Over on the Twitter machine, it's simple. Twitter.com slash Brian Lilly. You want to email us? Beyond the news at CFRA.com. I'm Brian Lilly with you again tomorrow night. Thanks for listening. And remember... I'm on your side.